Welcome to Uncooked, a podcast serving up raw insights for marketers as we hear the unfiltered truth from industry experts, brands, and the target audiences we serve in their own words. I'm your host, Jacqueline Lieberman, and today on Uncooked, I've compiled the first wrap-up of season two, dedicated to understanding what makes a brand people love. So far, we've covered really big topics in season two, like brand purpose, social impact, neuromarketing, the power of word of mouth, and the value of creating a customer experience people remember. Our brands so far have changed dinnerware as we know it with Leeway Home, explored the wonders of the human brain with a book titled Blindsight, learned about gaps in representation in the beauty industry with Beauty Marked, and held our feet and appetites to the fire with wood fire food. And then finally, and latest, we've explored the creepy culinary whimsy of Gideon's Bakehouse. So what can we learn from these varied businesses? All of them are masters in their crafts. What can we learn about our own customer needs and behaviors? And what do they say about our own brand truths? So let's dig in and find out. Leeway Home. The best brand work is not done in a vacuum. It's not done alone. It's done by a sharing of ideas, by a constant, exhaustive exchange of ideas and exchange of creativity and a back and forth in terms of this or that. That was Sam Dumas, co-founder of the direct-to-consumer tableware company called Leeway Home. The company emerged from a desire to challenge a very, very conventional category like tableware throwing all the rules out for functionality and how people shop for it. Part one covers the start of their entrepreneurial journey of building a D2C brand. But for today's wrap-up, I'm pulling out our conversation from part two, which focuses on how they use brand purpose as a guide to make really key business decisions. That's a wrap for part two of our conversation with Lyle and Sam. I had so many moments throughout this conversation that made me smile, but here are some key points I'd like you to hold on to. The first is sharing your brand message with your team can be like playing a game of telephone. It's up to you to create a clear, concise message and then find the right people to infuse that message into the rest of the business. Lyle and Sam sought help from a friend to help bridge the gap between their design ideas and then their new design team. Do you have a resource that you could utilize to close your own gaps? Secondly, when it comes to competitive analysis, remember to try that judo strategy of using your competitor's strengths against them. Once you find the white space, the fastest, most reliable way to build trust with your audience is to listen to their feedback. Leeway Home is focused on what their customers are saying all the time, and it's paying off in the form of alliances with larger companies that they could have otherwise be competing against. Nice going, Nordstrom. And finally, the third point, when you do the foundational brand work, it makes everything from marketing to partnerships to hiring the right culture so much easier. Decisions that could cause you to pivot now have a structure, all because you have an inspiring purpose values that guide your actions, and a clear message to measure everything against. Blindsight. We wanted to really go, here's a lighthearted way to understand why you line up to get the next iPhone. Here's why you probably don't even realize why iPhone has iPhone 12 and then 12s, right? iPhone 10 and 10s, and what that really does to your psychology. 
we wanted to really go, you probably care less about your iPhone as soon as a new one comes out. And you're probably more likely to be okay with it breaking because there's a subconscious justification of it. And it's all many times a design piece. Not always, but many times it's designed that way. That was Prince Guman, a neuromarketer and co-author of the book titled Blindsight, The Mostly Hidden Ways Marketing Reshapes Our Brains. We covered a ton of ground to better understand why we buy. I'll serve up the key insights here from part one, but with the caveat that you must listen to part two to understand why I personally jump higher in Jordans. I mean, doesn't everybody? Yeah. All right. That was part one of my conversation with Prince. Are all of your synapses firing in your brain right now? I know, I know. It was a lot of information, but I want to break down some key takeaways. So first, too often as marketers, we get caught up in the business metrics of campaigns, but Prince and Matt have really created this unique lens to gain a deeper understanding of people and how they react to brand advertising. We should get into the habit of at least bringing neuroimaging research to the table for large branding efforts or campaigns. I mean, think about your last A-B test. It's good to know that B was the winner, but isn't it better to really understand why? Secondly, this conversation highlighted the fact that surveys and focus groups provide the conscious feedback from consumers that's merely lying on the surface. As we learned, their brains may be telling a different story. Here's the ideal scenario in my strategy brain. Conduct quant to get that working hypothesis for the role your brand needs to play in the consumer's life. Then compare and contrast creative concepts in focus groups and in neuroimaging. Then you'll have a really well-rounded way to start looking at consumer reaction to what you're doing. Finally, before you write a proposal for an EEG machine in your office, the first step to incorporating neuroscience into your marketing plan, it begins with understanding the science of attraction and how it applies to the customers that love your brand. So maybe pick up Prince and Matt's book titled Blind Sight First. I promise it's fascinating stuff. Black women as a whole, as a community, decided probably 10, 15 years ago that we were no longer using chemical relaxers because they were terrible for our health. Mm-hmm. There are ingredients inside that are tied to fibroids, are tied to breast cancer. And so after doing that research and recognizing this is actually killing us and shortening our lifespan, we yeah. decided to return to our natural roots, meaning we're no longer chemically straightening our hair uh, for the most part. And so... YouTube exploded with, hey, this is how you take care of your hair. So we started to educate ourselves first about what ingredients could go into our hair to help it to be manageable, to help with moisture. And then those same influencers created beauty lines. And so the followings were really already there from the beginning in terms of education and then straight to product. And so I think the larger brands that have been more prominent in stores, they didn't realize that this was going to happen. The revenues dropped substantially. So we know that Black women can actually change a market as well. That was Kadeem Brown, co-founder of Beauty Marked, spelled B-E-U-T-Y-M-R-K-D.com. It's a company focused on curating beauty and wellness for Black women by creating an online marketplace to provide the much-needed shelf space that's not found in retail today. 
In part one, we broke down the foundational questions that arise when creating a company based on representation and change. Here are some takeaways. What a great way to end part one of my conversation with Shalice Josephs and Kay Dean Brown, founders of Beauty Marked. If this episode makes you wonder who is behind the items in your makeup bag, well, you're not alone. This company's journey is important for marketers to understand for a few reasons. Beauty Marked has a rich purpose right from the start. They fill a void for women of color and the brands who aim to serve them. The business premise is pretty cool though. It might've been easier route to really create a beauty product themselves, but instead what they wanted was to create a marketplace for brands to exist on 100% of the shelf space. Their curated box subscription allows women to sample a range of products that they can't find in traditional stores. I love it. Secondly, advertisers and marketers have deep influence on how brands are shaping culture. We all know this. But representation starts with inclusive hiring at the brand level and ad agency level. If we don't have diversity among the people actually creating the ads, then we'll keep failing at holding a mirror up to women of color so they can see themselves reflected. And finally, Shalice and Kadeen are already gaining traction by tapping into a community who have been long ignored by the big names for too long. What started out as a ladies' room chit-chat at work really came into this startup to answer their own unmet need. It's this type of vulnerability and purpose in the beginning that quickly builds brand trust. Woodfire Food Company. The refinement comes from not what you're adding, but what you're taking away. So now you're really focusing on where it's being grown, who's growing it, how the grill is made, what wood you're using. You're focusing on not the normal sense of ingredients, but like the actual process instead of the actual item itself. That was Daniel Sabia, founder of the Woodfire Food Company, which is a full-service, farm-to-table, experiential catering and event production company. They specialize in open fire cooking. Their mission is to tell stories and build memories around three simple ingredients. Can you guess? Wood, fire, and food. Part one of our discussion uncovers a reframe to think about every brand being in the experience business. You don't need to open up a catering business like this to pull it off. But here's some food for thought from that episode. Am I the only one ready to book a backyard dinner story? While Daniel's whirlwind success continues to grow, I think it's important to point out a few things that we could take away from his experience. First, all brand values are, well, they're valuable. They're meant to go out of the PowerPoint and actually be used to make real business decisions. Here, Daniel's company values are the equivalent to the human values that we can all relate to, like fostering conversation, creating one-on-one -on -one connections, embracing simplicity. Woodfire Foods' success is largely due to remaining steadfast to their raw truth of simple connection over food. I love that. Anything outside of that, he doesn't work on it. Secondly, here are two words to think about. Customer experience. Small words with a huge impact. As marketers, we need to really start any experience with a human need that we aim to fulfill. Daniel starts with the food's journey to the plate because his audience, they want to know that story. You might be thinking, well, it's easy to create an experience when you're talking about an event. 
Okay, I'll offer functional brands like Ember coffee mugs, for example. They start with the core need that we all have, which is to maintain a steady temperature of the beverage that we're enjoying. But it's more than that. Ember also taps into the deeply rooted satisfaction that we feel while enjoying a warm cup of coffee at the perfect temperature. So are you thinking about how you want to make your customers feel? Or are you thinking about what you're trying to sell them? That's really the core difference in creating a memorable customer experience. And finally, for those of us in the service business, how do you stay focused when your business grows at an unexpected pace? Well, use your brand purpose and your values to guide and prioritize your next step. If client requests are falling outside of what you believe is right for your business, which happens very often, take a beat and ask, will this project help me or my business grow? Is this part of my North Star or am I deviating from it? And it's really just a short-term money win. Gideon's Bakehouse. When you walk inside, I want you to enjoy the physical space. So the doors are always closed at Gideon's unless we open it for you to walk in. And when you walk inside, it is a very transformative space. Escapism, I think, is why we work so well on Disney property, because people are there for escapism. And we exemplified that mindset. So you are transported into essentially a Victorian bookstore that just happens to have baked goods around. But the first visual that you get are books. And the feel that I was trying to represent at the Disney Springs location is a bookstore that has been there for so long that it's continued to grow on its own. So the bookshelves actually twist and curve up the wall. And there's some floral that's coming out of some of the bookshelves and are sitting on top. Uh, And the lights flicker and move and change colors. And it's a very organic, very comfortable space. That was Steve Lewis, owner and creator of Gideon's Bakehouse in Orlando, Florida. Our epic conversation starts with his 15-year mission to create the perfect chocolate chip cookie. And that has led him through the land of experiential branding and a product that stands out even in a community surrounded by the magic of Disney. This episode takes you on a journey about creating a level of escapism for your customers, starting with how you want them to feel. Then you build a business around that feeling. Here are the insights I extracted for you. Oh man, where do I even begin synthesizing this brand story for you all? First, let me just say that if you've made it all the way to this point in the episode, thank you. My email is in the show notes. Let me know if you're into this long format from time to time. I don't know why, but I just felt like this particular conversation really lent itself to telling a longer story. Okay, let's get to some takeaways that you could start applying. First, I love hearing entrepreneurial journeys like Steve's because they're never linear. The thread that connects Steve's journey to Gideon's is creativity. Beginning in music, moving to his love for comic books and the arts, and then almost accidentally found baking. It shows that when your personal North Star is strong, there's no one way to express it. Today, Gideon's is about creating memories around baked goods in a physical space. Tomorrow, it can easily extend to children's stories with Gideon at the center. 
Either way, Steve thinks about Gideon's as being a platform for creativity versus a bakery. So think about what business are you really in? Secondly, it's really evident that Steve Lewis is a creative guy with a love of cookies, creepiness, and even some whimsy. He uses that passion to create a palatable love letter to the Central Florida community in the form of Gideon's Bakehouse. Steve attributes the addition of a Disney Springs location to the groundswell solely of his loyal customers of the East End Market in Orlando. That loyalty has allowed him to create a business where waiting in line, happily by the way, is part of the experience. I hope those people are listening and I hope that they feel proud of how their community really got behind this small business. Thirdly, after producing 36 episodes now, there's a persistent drumbeat that I keep hearing from founder stories. It's obsessing over the details. I've had guests talk in great detail about the specific cedar wood used in pencils, all the way to guests talking about how their obsession with human behavior drove intuitive technology. Whether or not you have your own business, Everything that you're responsible for doing and producing is an extension of self. Detail matters. And the products and the concepts found in Gideon's Bakehouse were cultivated over long periods of time. The only hustle you actually hear about in this conversation is the desire of Steve to personally connect with his employees and customers. He took 15 years to create his chocolate chip cookie recipe, seven years to create his peanut butter cold brew, His dedication to curating a very specific guest experience is about obsessing over these details. It would be so easy for him to scale and ship Gideon's cookies across the country, but will they arrive one big melted mess? Maybe. Will they arrive stale? A subpar customer experience is not even in the vocabulary if you have attention to detail. I truly admire this quality in the founders that I've interviewed, and Steve is no exception. The last thought I'll leave you with here is, I mean, in marketing, we talk a lot about show, don't tell, as being the key to memorability. One bite of a cookie, and guests immediately know that Gideon's is different. The Disney location is Steve's personal visual aesthetic. It's literally the door into his creative brain the curved bookshelves holding his personal collection of vintage books, the lighting, the very specific way everything is showcased gives you the feeling like you just walked into the middle of a whimsical story about a kid baker named Gideon. It's a brand story that you won't forget because now you're part of it too. This has been an episode of Uncooked, I'm Jacqueline Lieberman, founder and chief strategist at Brand Crudo, a marketing consultancy. I hope you enjoyed this wrap-up episode to give you a flavor for each discussion. Most of these episodes do have two parts, so I encourage you to listen to the full stories of these owners to really appreciate what they've learned in their business journeys and so you could apply it to your own. Links to all the guests featured here are in the show notes. And as always, if you like what you heard, please follow the show and leave a review to let us know how we're doing. Thanks again for listening.